It's offering a very, very warm welcome to everyone and I hope that you've felt welcomed on your arrival. Um, many familiar faces here and it's wonderful to see you. And also some of you I know are new to IMS and I really hope that you know, very soon that, that you'll feel very much at home here, um, very much part of, of this community. For those of you who don't know us, just some introductions. This is Narayan, this is Madi, and I'm Christina. So this evening, I, I am also very aware that some of you are probably pretty tired, uh, that you've traveled a ways to get here, and I'm also very, very aware it's quarter to two in the morning in my time, so <laughs> this is a brief evening. <laughs> but we would like to give you a, a little bit of a, an overview and a sense of beginning to the retreat. It's a curious thing in meditation practice that the two things that we're really asked to learn in the very beginning, one of them is to calm down and the other is to wake up. They don't always seem to fit together that easily. But in a way, that, that is our invitation in the beginning. I, I know many of you, you know, step into a retreat by stepping out of a life that's often very full and sometimes feels too full. And so just beginning to calm down, to collect and to gather ourselves is really a very, very big step. But it's also about waking up waking up to our life, waking up to the life around us, waking up in a way that we can really begin to listen to, to some of the quieter voices within us. I would say that meditation practice really has two aspects. One of them I would refer to as being the craft of meditation, and the other is the art of meditation. Another way of saying there is the form of the practice, and there is also the spirit or the attitude of the practice. Now, these two aspects really need to be so interwoven and kept in balance for the practice and the path really to be very liberating and of depth. Now, the Buddha didn't just teach formal meditation practice. He really taught the cultivation of an awakened life. So he actually just spoke, didn't just speak about practice, he really spoke about walking a path or cultivating a path. And that path 
includes every aspect of our life. There is nothing that is left out, nothing that is felt to be unimportant or irrelevant. So the formal meditation practice, this is a skill, it's a training, we develop it here. We learn how to cultivate mindfulness. We learn how to cultivate the practice of insight meditation. We learn many of the kind of, you know, we might say the technique or the skill level of meditation practice. This is very important. It's almost like the discipline of the path. It's very important that, that we have access to that, that skill of being present, the skill of collectedness the skill of gatheredness. And it's very important that we do it in an environment like this where there's a really an opportunity for a very sustained practice because this is how we naturalize it. It's in a way it's how the practice becomes our own because we do it over and over and over again until it really becomes part of our own, the fabric of our own being. And I think all of us would, would recognize the, the value and the importance of that, that skill of, of being present, of, of attentiveness, of wise attention, of inner listening. But that skill that we learn in meditation practice is always in a dialogue with the art or the spirit of the practice. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to leave a retreat just being, uh, having a lot of technical expertise. You know, if it, if it was just about technique, quite frankly, you could buy a book, be a lot quicker. Your knees wouldn't hurt so much. <laughs> but that's not what it's all about, because that skill is in a dialogue you know, with, with wise effort, with wise intention, and actually with the rest of the Eightfold Path, wise livelihood, you know, wise action, wise speech. And I think it's so important to have the, the sense of the breadth of what we are doing here. That it's not just about, you know, coming and sit a retreat and then put it in our portfolio somewhere here. You know, this is actually about the work of transforming our heart. It's the work of liberating our hearts. It's the work of liberating our minds. Within the art of meditation practice, we learn some of the most important lessons of our lives. Patience, generosity, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, perseverance. It is, it is these qualities that really, in a way, form the fabric of what the Buddha called a noble life. And this is an ennobling practice. It's a practice that really teaches us how to live our life through, through those qualities of patience, of perseverance, of acceptance, kindness, the qualities, quite honestly, that make a difference to all of us. I think, you know, 2,600 years ago, you know, 
people came to the Buddha with exactly the same questions, the same dilemmas that we explore in our own lives. It's very easy for us to imagine, you know, that 2,600 years ago, people had a really different kind of mind, you know, and, you know, if you've ever, if you're at all familiar with Buddhist literature, you know, you, you read these stories that the Buddha just needed to open his mouth and 500 people were liberated. You know, we really think, God, oh, they must really have a different kind of mind, you know. Um, but not so. Not so. The Buddha didn't have a different kind of mind than we have. None of the great teachers, the people we admire from the past and the present, have a different kind of mind than we have. And people came to the Buddha 2,600 years ago with the same questions of, that we struggle with, of, you know, what, how, do we, how do we address the very real life dilemmas of, of grief, of aging, of loss, of struggle, of conflict, of loneliness, of estrangement? You know, how do we address the very real questions and experiences of our life of sometimes having a body that doesn't cooperate, a mind that's unruly, people in our lives that may not, where there may be disharmony or, or, or struggle? And the Buddha's answer to these questions was never just sit more. Never said that. I mean, if you think about it, there's lots of things in this world that can sit a lot. You know, frogs, <laughs> snakes, cats. His answer was always investigate, question, explore really look in your own experience what it is that leads to suffering and struggle on a moment-to-moment level. This is really look in your own experience what it is that leads to the end of struggle and suffering on a moment-to-moment level. He said, really look in your own experience was it what it is that leeches joy and happiness and peace from your life and what it is that really brings healing and peace and joy. And he said, when you can see this in yourself, then your path will begin to unfold. Because when we see this in ourselves, in our own experience, then we truly begin to know for ourselves what it is that we are asked to to release and let go of in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, what it is really that we're asked to cultivate, to nurture, to develop, to bring into being, to commit ourselves to. Then he said, then as the Buddha talked about, we have a path. We have a path. It's a moment, a path of the, of the moment, not of the future. It is a path of liberating the moment. So in this retreat, you know, we, we will give plenty of instructions about the form. But more importantly, I hope that you will hear from us and hear from yourself, really, the inner attitude, the spirit, the intentions that really make this practice into a path. And a noble path or a noble life, as the Buddha referred to it.
when, <clears throat> when this path, this practice is taught, it was talked about in the past and in the present. It's often talked about as a path of loveliness. Path of loveliness. And certainly, you know, when I first heard that, I thought that's somebody else's path. It's, it's nothing to do with me, you know. My, my practice is not lovely. My practice is demanding and challenging and hard and sometimes kind of feels miserable. And then I thought, well, what does that mean for this practice and this path to be lovely? And I think it really does have so much to do with the attitudes that we bring, the kindness, the spaciousness, the commitment. It's not lovely because, you know, we have a certain kind of experience all the time. I think one of the things that you really learn in this, in this practice is that you cannot judge your path or your practice by the contents of a single sitting or a single walking, just as you cannot judge yourself by the contents of your mind. There is something here about having long views and knowing how much this path is really, yes, it's about liberating our hearts, but it's also about how we take care of our world, how we take care of those, the people that we care for and love, the kind of footprint that we leave in the world, the quality of our relationships moment to moment, our sense of, of, of connectedness and empathy and understanding, then there is a lot of loveliness to this path. So anyway, it's about tasting freedom. And as the Buddha you know, said, this, this path and this practice has just one taste and it, it is the taste of freedom. I hope that you have a very fruitful, rich retreat, and I am going to stop talking now. like to um, warmly welcome everyone as well and just to express my utter delight in being here. Uh, it's so wonderful to see those of you that um, I've seen so many times before here and elsewhere. And uh, also I, I look forward to having close contact with those of you whom I haven't met yet. We do become a community. You know, we, we start in this way, we have a sense of something. You know, we're here for similar reasons, because we don't want to suffer, and we want to learn more deeply about love and wisdom, waking up and finding out who we really are. And to move together as a community, we find that it deepens through the week. You know, it doesn't, it's not something that happens in an automatic way. It's something that slowly develops. We have everything we need here in this environment to help us, this 
container of this retreat is such a huge support. It's such a huge help. And all of us cooperating together helps this sense of community to really deepen. May Sarton said, everything that slows us down and forces patience, everything that sets us back into the slow circles of nature is a help. Everything that slows us down and forces patience, everything that sets us back into the slow circles of nature is a help. And being here in this environment, it is a help. It's a huge help because it helps us to see our own nature. It helps us to find a harmony and an alignment with nature so that we don't have to be as alienated. We don't have to feel ourselves as so separate, but we can really learn deeply the lessons of intimacy. We are all contributing to a sense of spiritual sanctuary. And I just want to take a few minutes to talk about ways that we help ourselves and help one another to deepen this sense of spiritual sanctuary. One of the ways is through using the guidelines of the precepts, the five precepts, that some of you know quite well and others of you might be the first time. But to perhaps resonate with the precepts as I speak to each one of them. The first one is knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect life. I love this, knowing how deeply, not because it's moralistic or it's a should or one is bad or anything like that, but knowing how deeply connected we are to one another, I undertake the commitment to protect life. And what, of course, this means is the expression of compassion. The second one is knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to only take what is offered to me. So this, of course, is the practice of generosity, generosity of heart, generosity of spirit. The third one, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect relationships and be celibate during this retreat. And this is a way to learn how to be more responsive to oneself so that we're able to be more sensitive and responsive to others as well. And the fourth one, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to speak the truth with kindness. Mostly on this retreat, of course, there will be noble silence happening, but there are times of speaking in the groups or once in a while in one's yogi job. There's a little bit of talking that has to happen, so it's still a really important guideline. And then the fifth one, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment not to harm myself or others with alcohol or drugs. And I just want to make the point that this doesn't mean 
not taking medication that's been prescribed to one. It means not clouding the mind because from a certain point of perspective, we need all the help we can get to be awake and mindful and present and here. So we take these precepts together. We cooperate in working and living with these guidelines and we already have a certain degree of happiness. Already there's a certain beauty in our lives before we even take a breath or are mindful of a breath or are present with a moment. Already there's a beauty in our lives and a beauty that, of course, we're offering one another as well. Another kind of way to orient ourselves in this environment is to recognize the power of silence. The power of being impeccable with the silence. It is so unusual to be in a situation where we're together and yet we can be together alone. For seven days we are here together and yet um, we have this great freedom to look into our own hearts with the support of one another. So to really keep noble silence is a way to help yourself profoundly. And it's also a way to to help others. It's a generosity. The silence, the outer silence, which of course birds chirping and cars going by, and it's never silent, but not talking to one another is an invitation to recollect oneself. The outer silence is a reminder of the possibility of touching an inner silence. The possibility of knowing deeply within ourselves inner silence. It's a way to rediscover our inner beauty, to live with less struggle and with a greater sense of steadiness. So this time, Christina was speaking about being with oneself and understanding one's own experiences and looking within, directing one's attention within. And it helps so much to encourage silence. It's a time to be alone with the support of one another. So I want to encourage all of us to just be quite impeccable in our efforts to not talk. And of course, you know, not talking is one thing, not talking to others is one thing, not to talk to yourself is a huge thing. And I invite you to talk less, at least, to yourself, to listen more and to talk less. If you've come with friends, I, I want to encourage you, or, or, or partners, if you've come with your partner, I want to encourage you to um, not take walks or chat or this kind of thing. It's really great to come on a retreat together with a friend or a partner and not to be talking about the retreat during it. You kind of ruin it, you know, but to afterwards know that you're going to have this time of coming together, of reconnecting. And that can be such a great thing 
if there's been silence during the retreat. Sometimes this question comes up, particularly for those of us new here, about eye contact, what to do about eye contact, which is a little bit of a strange thing. You know, we're not talking, um, physically talking, but there's a lot of eye con- of, of, of contact that can happen through our eyes. I sat on retreat many years ago in another tradition, and everyone was quiet, but you would go by and there would be two or three people you know, fixated on one another with eye contact, and everything would happen. It were huge dramas. You know, you could see that, that um, marriages were happening and affairs were happening, and then people would split up, and, you know, you could see that that was happening. Divorce was occurring. Fights, arguments, you know, the whole thing. It was just utter, utterly a dramatic experience. So... Don't be, you know, weird or strange about the eye contact. It's not like you want to be rigid or you have to fixate your eyes on the floor or anything like that. And at the same time, there's a great luxury here where you don't have to have eye contact if you don't want to as well. You know, it's kind of, it's a really unusual situation. Um, And as I say, there's kind of a, a luxury to it where it's social and at the same time, the same social rules don't really apply. You know, sometimes we're looking at another person thinking, am I okay? You know, am I okay? You don't have to do that here. You, know, you need to, to look within and um, really sense an inner contentment and, and joy. So, and if you pass somebody and that person is smiling, you know, smile if you want. Don't think if the other person isn't smiling at you that um, there's something wrong with you. You know, if you smile and it's not returned, that person might just be looking within at that moment. So not to take it as, as um, something's wrong with you or you did something wrong or you're being shunned or anything like that. These kind of projections can easily happen on a retreat. And you want it to just be an easygoing, light kind of thing. We encourage silence, this guideline of noble silence. It's not just silence, it's called noble silence, is so encouraged because we are attempting to find an inner refuge, a refuge within ourselves. The Buddha said, be a lamp unto yourself, which means that we find light within us, that this is possible. The Buddha never seemed to say anything that wasn't actually possible. So be, be a light, be a lamp, find the light within. And the last thing I'd like to say a few words about is the place of simplicity. One important way to relate to simplicity has to do with those of you who have been on other retreats. It's so helpful, so helpful, not so easy, but so helpful to come as a beginner. I mean, you have your resources within you that will naturally, organically be applied. You don't have to worry about that. But to come as a beginner means that you don't have to drag this heavy sandbag of your meditative history around with you, which is utterly exhausting and disappointing. You know, it's always disappointing having these ideas about what should happen in this retreat because what 
has happened at another time, it doesn't leave us free to be in life as it is. It doesn't leave us very free to be here and to allow for learning to come out of our experiences because we already know. You know, we've already made certain assumptions. So I want to encourage you to put that sandbag down if, um, if you're lifting it up. See if it's possible, too, in the spirit of simplicity to not uh, come to conclusions. You know, to see if you can leave things open. Um, it's so easy for us to decide. It's like this, it's like that, to conclude something or another. And I just want to encourage you to leave things open. This is a time when we can enjoy non-doing. You know, and initially when we sign up for a retreat, sounds great, you know, to not do. But, of course, as a retreat goes on, it's not so easy to enjoy non-doing. So you have to really encourage and cultivate it in yourself to let go of the usual kinds of projects we may um, think we need to pick up. And we might have self-improvement projects. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to get three insights, you know. I'm going to get 500 insights, I'm going to resolve this, I'm going to understand that. And when we do this, once again, we're not fresh. And we've lost our innocence of heart. So I really want to encourage you to, to not have project mind. Oftentimes, of course, we come with a number of questions. And we want to respect those questions. These are our questions. They're important questions. You know, they're questions, oftentimes they're life questions that need to be respected. But the approach here is different than usual. We don't want to try to fix anything. We actually don't want to try to figure out our questions. We want to try to trust in the process. We want to try to trust in awareness. Letting awareness do its work and the wisdom that comes out of awareness, letting wisdom do its work without our interfering as much as we do. Instead of the effort to resolve anything, oftentimes what happens is we just see the same thing but from an utterly different perspective. And then of course it's different, of course it's changed. But it doesn't come about through thinking, our usual addiction to thinking. We are here to meet ourselves from moment to moment. And so in this spirit of meeting ourselves in a vulnerable, open-hearted, you could say raw way, we do want to put down reading and writing and any technology whatsoever that you might have brought. Now, it's, it's not true that we're absolutely letting go of reading. You can read, but you can only read your own heart. Yeah. That's the rule. No reading anybody else's writings, but really to read yourself. And then it's very rich. It's very helpful for our practice. Letting go of any kind of technology. You know, it seems like it's a renunciation. And yes, you could use that word renunciation. But it's in the service of opening up to our lives. 
When we let go of the usual, of our reading, of writing, of technology, which of course means cell phones, but also any of the technology out today, you know, iPods or iPod touches or iPhones or um, computers or whatever it may be, we step into the unfamiliar. Yeah. And that's what practice encourages us to do and allows us to do, is not to just go around in the same old conditioning, but to burst out of it. And so to let go of our usual ways of interacting with the world for the sake of engaging with our hearts is a way of going into the unknown, into the unfamiliar, with the ally of awareness. Rumi said, today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down the dulcimer. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. So um, Maddie's going to say a few words. Is it on? Okay. So I also want to extend a very warm welcome to everyone here. It's really a privilege and an honor to be with Christina and Narayan and all of you. I don't, I don't think there's anything quite like being with like-minded people. So it's really a chance and an opportunity um, to really enjoy this space together. On retreat, it's really an opportunity to discover and rediscover our true and our deepest nature and really to see what our deepest aspirations are whether it's wakefulness or love, compassion, inner freedom. On retreat, we open to what is. We can balance our hearts and minds, and then we investigate what is, you know, what is here. And we see things exactly as they are. We open and we invite in and we encourage um, a connectedness, an openness, a warmth, an understanding. We see what it means to be alive, to be at ease, to be connected. We're not fragmented or divided. We make a commitment to ourselves, to each other, to our well-being our inner freedom. As Christina was saying, we actually cultivate and we nurture um, a kindness. And as Narayan was saying, we nurture and cultivate a stillness or a quietness, an inner balance. We nurture clear seeing and we cultivate compassion in all aspects of our lives. 
So I guess we could say that coming on retreat is an act of love. An act of love and loveliness. And in this um, space, may you rest and enjoy this time together and use it wisely. The Dalai Lama says the only thing that we can rely on is our motivation. So here it is. So we'll sit together just for a few minutes now. Sitting, knowing that you're sitting here. Allowing the body to relax, the eyes, the face, the shoulders, the belly. Let your shoulders come down. Let your mind rest in your body. Encouraging ease and spaciousness. Clearly attentive. Just sitting and just breathing, knowing that sitting is happening, knowing that breathing is occurring right here and right now. Finding your mind elsewhere, not a problem. Just reconnecting. And sustaining the attention. 
aware of sitting, aware of breathing. Not forcing, not striving, just this. Just this. So, beginning to slow down, beginning to be mindful of very small actions as you make your way to bed. And um, the bell will ring at 6 o'clock, I think. Yeah? 6 o'clock. And um, then there'll be breakfast at 6.30, so there's no early morning sitting tomorrow. So you can sleep in. (laughs) Okay, sleep well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.